All right, good morning, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you today. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my joy to welcome you to Crossroads, especially if today is your first time. I want to let you know we're honored by your presence. And I want to tell you, we even have an appreciation gift planned for you on your way out. You can pick that up. And it's just our way of saying thank you for making time to come and be our guests. I'd like to also ask you, if you're a first-time guest, if you can text the number on the screen behind me, we'd love to send you some information about our church. You can find, also find that number in your program. And then for all of us, if you take time to pull out your communication card, we love to know that you are here And we love to know how to pray for you. So if you can fill this out and later in the service, drop that in the offering basket, that would really bless us. And then one more opportunity before we jump into our message. Over the next four weeks, we are giving some vision tours where we're taking people over to tour the new building kind of see the progress we're making. And then we're going to talk about what it's going to take to finish the projects that God has called us to. And I just want to say, uh, you have this opportunity to be a part of these tours. And if you consider Crossroads to be your church home and your church family, can I encourage you, please make every effort to attend one of these tours. Over the next month, we have six, eight, ten meetings that you can be a part of. We have on Sunday nights at 5.30 and there's child care or Tuesday nights at 7. You can sign up for one of these meetings. Just drop this in the offering basket and you'll be good to go. So if you can take care of that, that would be awesome. Now today we're continuing in our series called Soul Detox. And remember, the whole purpose of this series is we are learning to pursue the things that help us live with vibrant souls and to avoid the things that poison our souls. And this morning, we're talking about an issue that impacts the soul of every person in this room. It's the issue of sexual healing. And I want to start my message by asking you kind of a, kind of a personal question this morning. I want you to think about this. How did you first learn about sex? How did you first learn about sex? Was it from your parents? Did your parents ever sit you down and have the talk with you? Was it from other kids on the playground or in a locker room? Was it a sex ed class at school? Was it from TVs or the movies or a Playboy magazine? Why don't you pull out your outline? We have an outline for today's message. It's a light green sheet found in your program. All the verses from the Bible that we're looking at are printed there for you. And there's a place to take some notes if that is helpful for you. But why don't you jot down some thoughts that come to, come to mind? How did you first learn about sex? Can I share the first thoughts that came to my mind? Two thoughts. The first one is uh, I learned about sex. My first thing is kind of innocent. I was a 10-year-old kid. And uh, there was this junior high group of kids that they had this fort in this field. And they had this club. It was called the Kissing Club. And to get in this club, you had to go inside this little fort with a girl and make out for like two minutes. And so I really wanted to hang out with the older kids. So I found this girl, Wendy. And Wendy and I, we both wanted to be in this club. So they put us in this little fort and they waited outside and they timed us for two minutes Man, we didn't do anything. We just stood there and looked at each other. But then we walked out. We pretended like we, I think we even tried to make kissing noises. But then we came out and we were in the club. Very innocent. 
Nothing really happened, but at 10 years old, I began to get this idea that older kids, they like to get together and kiss each other. Now, the second thing was not quite as innocent. My second lesson came two years later when I was 12 years old. My, my parents had just divorced. My dad had moved out, and this was the first weekend I was to spend with my dad at his new apartment. So I show up, and when I walk in with my little suitcase... I walk into his apartment, and I notice next to his coffee table, he has a stack of pornographic magazines this high. And I walk in, and I see on the top of that stack, there's this picture of this lady scantily dressed in a provocative position. I I look at this magazine, and I look at my dad. And my dad says these four words. He says, go ahead, son, help yourself. And I did. Grabbed a couple of those magazines, put them in my suitcase. And friends, it began a sick, secret, shameful involvement in viewing pornography that perverted my understanding of sex and women. And can I tell you, (laughs) I've only been able to break the grip of pornography by the grace of God and the healing power of Jesus Christ in my life. So on the top of my outline, I'm just sharing that because how I learned about sex the kissing fort, my dad, and pornography. Now, when you consider how you first learned about sex, could it be possible that you didn't get all the information you needed? Could it be possible that you got some bad info, some wrong info, some info that led you to think about and get involved in sexual activity in a harmful and inappropriate way that did some damage to your soul? Or maybe the soul of another person led you to make some mistakes or mess up sexually. Do you need sexual healing today? I'm curious if anyone here would put on top of their outline, I learned about sex from the Bible or my church or from God. Sometimes I wonder how my life would have been different if I learned about sex early on from God's perspective what the designer and creator of sex had to say, because listen to me, friends, I am convinced that the best starting point for experiencing sexual healing in our lives is to come back, to come back to a clear understanding of God's plan and purpose and perspective on sex. And so that's what I want to capture as our foundation for our message this morning. So let's, let's uh, pray together. And then we'll talk about sex from God's perspective. Let's pray. First of all, God, I thank you for every precious person in this room this morning. And God, as we bow our heads, we just humbly say we need you. Lord, the truth is, some of us were carrying in guilt and shame and struggles. Some of us are carrying heavy burdens And we need to be reminded that you love us, that you care about our lives, and that you have real help and real answers. And so we open up to you, and we ask you to meet us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, to lay a foundation for understanding sex from God's perspective, I want to begin with a very powerful passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Would you look at this passage with me? It's printed on your outline. It says this. It is God's will 
like God's plan, God's purpose, God's desire. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, that word sanctified simply means set apart for a high purpose. God's will is that you would be sanctified, that your life would be set apart. And then he goes on to say this, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, friends, it's odd that these two statements are coupled together. But you see, it's God's will for your life. He, he wants your life to be set apart to fulfill his great calling, his great purpose. And he knows one of the main things that will rob you of your purpose, that will damage your soul, is if you fall into a misuse or an abuse of his great gift of sex. And then he goes on to say that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And friends, for that to happen, there there needs to be a clear understanding, a commitment to make God's perspective on sex the foundation on how we see and live out our sex lives. So let's talk about it. And I hope you'll take some notes. God's perspective on sex. Number one, would you write this down? I want you to understand, sex is God's creation. It's his idea. He made it up. He invented it. God made you as a sexual being with sexual feelings and desires and attractions. And friends, listen, sex is not a problem that you have. Now, it can become a problem if it gets out of bounds, but God created you. He created sex, and sex is God's good gift to us. And I want to be the first to say in front of you, thank you, Jesus. Can I get an amen? It's a good gift. It's a wonderful gift. In fact, check out what it says in Genesis 2, 15 through 18 on your outline. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. Now, would you underline that phrase, Adam and his wife were both naked. Neither of them felt any shame. See, God's gift of sex was given to bring great joy and pleasure and connection, not guilt, shame, and fear. So now that, so that's the first step. Sex is God's creation, but let's take it a step forward. Sex is not only God's good creation. Did you know sex was also God's first command? Did you know that? His first command, look at Genesis 128. It says, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Now, did you know that phrase, be fruitful and multiply? Guys, that's code. <laughs> that's code for, hey, go make love. Go have sex. Go make babies. I want you to capture the context here. Adam and Eve, they're just created. They're made special in the image of God. And as they stand naked before God and naked before each other, God blesses them and gives his first command. And can you see it? Because I can't. I can just see Adam going, awesome. I can see him grabbing Eve's head. Come on, baby, let's go. Runs home and they get outside the bed and says, wait here, honey. He runs in. He lights a couple candles. He even picks up his dirty socks. He straightens the bed. And then he sets some mood music. Spins her around. 
they'd have a little dance together, set the mood, and I could just see Eve saying, just kind of laughing at him, what are you doing? And I see Adam said, honey, baby, I'm just trying to obey God's will. I'm just trying to follow his good commands. Do you understand? Do you realize sex is God's good creation's first command? When you understand that sex becomes something holy and connected to God, not something dirty or nasty or to be hidden from God. But friends, that leads us to our third perspective, and this is so key. Sex was designed, designed for marriage only. Marriage alone. See, God's guidelines for sex are simple, straightforward, and steady. They don't change. According to the creator and inventor of sex, in his owner's manual, the Bible, he says that sex is to be expressed and enjoyed and celebrated within the boundaries of a safe, loving, committed relationship called marriage. In fact, God feels so strongly about this that he said some very strong words for those who break these boundaries. Check out what Hebrews 13, 4 says on the screen behind me. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Let me, let me, let me see if I can explain it this way. This is so cool. Do you know in my backyard, we have this fire pit. And uh, I love it because, ooh, nice. Because, you know, especially in the fall when it gets cold, when we have friends over, man, we light the fire pit and we have special times to connect and share, and fellowship together. Man, our kids will come out, and they'll roast their marshmallows. Man, it's a wonderful gift to have this this fire pit in our backyard. And fire within the boundary of the fire pit, it's a beautiful thing. But friends, if it gets outside this fire pit, man, it could do some real damage, right? I mean, it can burn down our house. It can burn down our our home. It It could destroy my family. And sex is a lot like that. In fact, I want you to see it on your outline. See what 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5 says. It says it this way. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly. Friends, God created it. He commanded it. But only within a certain context, within a a certain boundary. And here's the boundary. Here's what he says. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual desires are strong, like fire. Sexual desires are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. And then the rest of the verse, it talks about how husband and wives are not to withhold sex from each other, but they're to seek to take care of each other's needs. It says, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Now, here's the point I want you to catch and, and underline this phrase again. Underline this idea Sexual desires are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sex life in a world of sexual disorder. Now, um, 
So, so sex is reserved and reserved for marriage only. Now let's go ahead and write the fourth perspective. And this is key for everyone in this room, whether you're married or not. Would you write this down? I want you to understand from a biblical perspective, sex is connected to my soul. It's connected to my soul. Whether you're, you're, see, friends, we're living in a culture today where sex has just been reduced to a, a mere physical act. Where sex is like a physical appetite that you, that you ought to gratify like any other appetite. I mean, if you're hungry, eat some food. If you're thirsty, drink some water. If you're horny, go out and hook up. I mean, what's the big deal? It's just a physical act, right? Just a physical thing. Why make this big deal? Friends, it all comes back to what we've been ta- taught for since my generation on. We've taken God out of the whole deal. And what we learn in biology class and sex ed class, basically, man, it's just a drive to survive. Survival of the fittest. You have this sex drive, but it's basically just body parts and nerve endings. But here's my question to you this morning. If sex is just a physical thing, why does it have this power over us? Why does it create such longing and desire and fear, fear and guilt and shame and hope like no other activity on earth? Many of you may remember the classic line from the movie uh, Indecent Proposal where Demi Moore said these words, I'm just going to give him my body, but not my soul. But in the movie and in real life, it was a tragic mistake. Because, friends, sex is more than just a physical act. 1 Corinthians 6.16 says it this way in your outline. There's more to sex than just skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. That's why God designed sex for marriage. See, in sexual uh, sharing, there's this powerful bonding effect where it's like a mingling of body and soul. And God wanted that special bond to be shared between two people who committed to love, honor, and cherish one another for life. And here's the danger of sexual immorality. When you have sex with someone who is not your spouse, you're leaving a little part of your soul with them. You lose a little bit of your wholeness. And in the moment, it can feel so good because it's so powerful. Such a powerful experience, and God designed it that way. But eventually, sometimes as quickly as the next morning, but over time, one day you'll take a close look in the mirror, and you'll find that you're feeling kind of empty, like something's kind of hollow. This nagging sense of, of not wholeness, of not rightness, because there are little pieces of your soul scattered all around. Friends, it's not just body parts. That's why God made sex out of marriage, out of bounds. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says it like this. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another, Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Friends, sex is connected to your soul. 
That's, and I want you to see it. That's God's perspective. He created it. He commanded it. He designed it for marriage and he connected it to our souls. And yet most of us here today, myself included, that's not how we first learned about sex. We grew up in a sex craze culture and it's clear. Friends, is it clear to you? It's caused so much damage, so much brokenness, so much hurt and confusion and damage to people that God loves. In fact, in preparing this message, I discovered some surprising sex statistics that impact every one of us here in this room. Did you know, this is a fact, friend, did you know that sexual addiction is the single most prominent addiction in the world and nothing else even comes close? Then connected with that, pornography It's a multi-billion dollar industry that makes more money than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. And it's destroying families and marriages and poisoning souls across the country. Now, check this one out. Of all the ways that people get hurt, no violation of a person wounds them more deeply than a sexual violation. When a child gets sexually molested, when a woman gets raped... When a person is sexually assaulted, a heart gets scarred as deeply as a human heart can get scarred. This next one, it's just an observation, but this obsession that our culture has with appearing sexually attractive. Man, it's doing so much damage that we have young girls in our society who are starving themselves. We have beautiful young junior high girls who are feeling worthless because they can't compare and compete with what they see in the magazines and the movies. Now, this one really surprised me. Sexually transmitted diseases in our lifetime have skyrocketed out of control, and it is estimated, now check this out, one in four teenagers now has an STD. One in four. And then this last observation, adultery and extramarital affairs have destroyed countless lives because no act causes a deeper sense of betrayal to a relationship than adultery. It's a, it's a powerful thing. Now, in light of these st- statistics, in light of how you first learned about sex, and you put that up against God's perspective of, of sex, here's my question for you this morning. Do you need sexual healing? Do you need a healing touch from God in this area of your life? Do you have images floating through your mind that that you just can't seem to cut them off? Have you had sex with someone outside of marriage and now you feel like a piece of your soul is missing because they're no longer around? What do you do with that hole in your heart? Do, Do you have parents who didn't protect you from yourself? Do you have parents, a parent or a relative that sexually violated you? Do you need sexual healing today? Do you need God to restore what was lost? Do you need God to to heal what was broken? Are you haunted by the memory of your abortion? And what about your marriage? All this talk about sex, are are you withholding sex from each other without even talking about it? And working it through, what would it look like for you to have sexual healing today? Are you even open to receive it? Because can I tell you, I know someone. I know a guy 
He's been helping me. He's been healing me. He's been restoring my life. And he's an expert on sexual healing. He's an expert on giving people their souls back. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he's the son of God. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has the power to restore you. In fact, on your outline, I printed a real life picture of Jesus bringing sexual healing and restoring a woman who is caught in sexual sin, the sexual sin of adultery. The story is found in John 8, verses 10 and 11, printed on your outline. Now, instead of me preaching this story to you, I thought it would be pretty cool to hear this story through a young man who captures everything I've been trying to say to you, and then he paints this beautiful picture of Jesus and sexual healing. So take a look at this video. So let's look at the subject. I'm going to tell you why I'm disgusted. So tonight, looks like sex will be our topic of discussion. Now see, sex isn't evil. For marriage is why God made it. But I know you're like, come on, man. That's too outdated. This is 2011, bro. We do it for recreation. And hey, if you're in college, you do it while you're wasted. But I want to question this logic. I want to pop off the seal. I want to question something that we think is already a done deal. So take a rape victim, for example, and once it's revealed, when her bruises go away, is she totally healed? Nah, the damage is lasting. You can see it in her eyes. But if it was just abused recreation, why did it ruin her life? I mean, if sex is just for fun, why does it take such a toll? Maybe it's because you don't just have sex with a body, you have sex with a soul. Which means for me, there ain't no premarital loving. And it ain't just because I want a baby in the oven, it's because I'm staying pure till the day that I'm a husband. But see, this wasn't always me. That's a guarantee. Let's go back in the past, see who I used to be. Now growing up, I never learned how to treat a lady. If I learned one thing from my dad, it was leave the mom, ditch the baby. Now I don't say that to get sympathy, I say that to be real. Because according to stats, about 40% of you know how that feels. So I let the TV show me what the music already told me. No dad at home, so I was letting MTV mold me. And they sold me, which is why my life revolved around what girl I could get next. My life revolved around this girl named Sex. Shoot, I'd get at her on the text, but I gotta confess. It seems the longer we dated, the bigger the mess. But then, my girlfriend was late on that time of the month. If you know what I mean, you understand when I say my heart sunk. I started to think about abortion, man. I started to butter it up. But it's funny, they don't make condoms for sin. You can't just cover it up. It was just a scare, but I knew a father I didn't want to be. <laughs> it's funny how I was pro-life until it happened to me. So dudes think twice before you desire her just because she's hot. Because the truth is, your body makes a promise whether you do or not. Sorry I digress, though. Let's get back to the topic. How there's some dudes who pressure her even when she says stop it. You're not a man. You're just a boy that can shave and you put on a good cover. Because if you don't respect her when she says no, you certainly don't love her. So how about you start studying her heart, stop studying her booty, or maybe invest the same amount of time in her that you do in Call of Duty. Because what makes you think you can get this girl and all of a sudden get naughty? Because you should have to touch her heart and her mind first before you ever touch her body. Because she longs to be accepted, she longs to be loved, so she gives herself up to another guy's lust. She thinks it feels good at first, but then she gets bitter. Because the promise of satisfaction, it never delivers. She's like, I don't want to, but it's just too tempting. So she keeps opening up the present just to find that it's empty. And then she starts to get confused. She keeps getting rejected by all these dudes. They tell her on a scale of 10, she's a 2. But that ain't true. If she only knew. 
that Jesus, he loves and accepts us. Even when you don't want him, he'll never reject us. He heals us from that sin that totally infects us. And he does what condoms can't, he emotionally protects us. And I know some of you hear this, you're going to want to indict me. But we got to think rightly, so I'll ask politely. Can you really say this isn't even true, just slightly? I mean, we touched the forbidden fruit, not to realize it's poison ivy, and now we're numb and we're itching, and we got a distorted psyche. You don't think you just do it, like your name was Nike, not realizing that the consequences of your actions are oh so pricey. So this last story, though, is for those who think they're too dirty. This last story is for those who think they're unworthy. Read John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. The religious leaders throw her naked in the temple while she yells, don't murder me. They say, Jesus, the law commands us to stone this woman. And you hear the hate in their tone. Jesus pauses it and says, whoever's without sin, you can cast the first stone. I mean, can you imagine the sound? Silence all around. You hear footsteps walk away. You hear stones hit the ground. And then Jesus kneels down. The woman thought it was her demise. He lifts up her face. You see the grace in his eyes. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I love you. I accept you. Mercy is yours. But if you're anything like me, you're like, no, that can't be. Why would he ever die for me? See, but then I saw that scene where I was redeemed. He reached out and touched me and said, Jeff, you're free. Instantly, I was wearing the brightest robe I'd ever seen. I was perfectly spotless. I was perfectly clean. So bright, in fact, man, I thought I'd go blind. I said, who's this? this? He said, actually, it's mine. So think twice before you eat what society feeds us. Come follow the king. His name is Jesus. All right. All right, guys, did you hear it? Did you hear it? This young man captured the power of Jesus to bring sexual healing, not only to the woman caught in adultery, but to his own life as well. I think this real-life picture of Jesus and sexual healing, I think if Jesus was here, there's three things that he would want to say to you this morning. And let me encourage you to write these down. Number one, the first thing I think Jesus would want to say is, when it comes to the need for sexual healing, you're not alone. You're not alone. If you need sexual healing in your life, do you understand? Check out this slide on the screen behind me that the primary power of sexual sin is secrets and shame. We feel ashamed and we don't want anyone to know, so we cover up, we try to hide and stuff it down and hope no one will ever find out. Now this woman caught in adultery, man, she was found out. She was dragged through the mud. But do you see how courageously Jesus turned the tide on these men and he said these words, he who was without sin, let him cast the first stone. And nobody could. See, Jesus was pointing out the reality of Romans 3.23 on the screen behind me. For everyone has sinned. We have all fall short of God's glorious standard. Jesus was pointing out that we all have habits, hurts, and hang-ups in our lives. And we all need a touch of God's grace and healing and forgiveness. And I promise you, friends, in this place, nobody's here to throw stones at you. And if you've messed up sexually, if you've made some mistakes, if you've done some damage, you're not alone. And God can help you and heal you and restore you this very day. Now, some of you today, you've been listening to this message. And the truth is, man, it's a hard message for you. Because in your heart, you're going, I didn't do anything. 
Something was done to you. You didn't want it. You didn't invite it. You didn't ask for it. Someone in a power position misused that power to abuse, molest, or assault you. The reality is statistics tell us one in four girls and one in six boys is sexually molested before the age 18. The reality is statistics tell us 48% of women say that their first sexual encounter was not wanted or invited, but forced on them. When someone violates your body, it tears apart your heart and your soul. And if that's you today, the first thing I want you to hear this morning is you're not alone. God has brought you to a safe place because he loves you. He cares about you. And he wants to heal you, to bring back sexual healing to your body and emotionally healing to your soul. And can I tell you again, the primary power of sexual sin is secrets and shame. And if you're holding all of this inside, listen to me, you've got to tell somebody. You've got to tell a safe person. There's a principle in the Bible that goes like this. The beginning of healing is revealing. The beginning of healing is revealing the power that this abuse holds over you. When you take it out of the dark and you bring it into the light, it just breaks loose that spiritual stranglehold that the abuse has over you. And can I tell you, you're not only in a safe place, but we have some safe places designed for you to experience healing. We have life groups that meet all throughout the week. Next week, we're starting some Celebrate Recovery groups that you can sign up for online or even on your communication card. You can just write CR, sign me up for Celebrate Recovery, and we'll help you get into a safe group where you can experience a safe place to work on your struggles, your challenges, your abuses, and where you can know that you are not alone in your need for healing. The second thing that Jesus would want to say to you is that, would you write this down? You are not condemned. You're not condemned. You know, the most powerful part of this story of the woman caught in adultery, the most powerful part for me is realizing the only one without sin, the only one who had a right to stone this woman was Jesus himself. And he says these powerful words to her, Neither do I condemn you. See, friends, do you you understand Jesus, the perfect sinless son of God, the one who came according to John 3, 17 on the screen behind me, who said, I didn't come to condemn you, but to save you. This perfect sinless son of God, he literally saves this woman's life and he forgives her on the spot. Do you know that that if you don't know a lot of, of, of biblical Uh, background. Can I tell you, biblical law says that this woman was supposed to die for her sin, but Jesus knew that in just a short time that he would die in her place. Biblical law says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, but Jesus knew that in in just a short time, he would pay the penalty of her sin with his blood spilt on the cross. See, he had the right to forgive her and restore her and bring her sexual healing because he paid the penalty when he died for her on the cross. 
And he has the right to restore and forgive you because he did that for you as well when he gave his blood for you. This is what the Bible tells us. Friends, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the son of God who lived and died and rose again, when you give your heart to Jesus, the Bible says you're forgiven, you're cleansed, and you are set free. Romans 8.1 says it this way on your outline. Now, now look at this verse closely with me. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who, what? Do you belong to Christ today? Have you trusted in Jesus? Because he's the one who can wash you clean, make you whole, bring you sexual healing. Friends, he's done that for me. And I know he can do that for you. I love what 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11 says. It says, in the past, some of you were like that. But you were washed clean and made holy and made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let those words sink into your soul. Washed clean, made holy, right with God. Those are the kind of words that can change your life. You see, as Jesus was taking this woman through a process of sexual healing, he told her, you're not alone, you're not condemned. And the third thing he told her, you are called. You are called to a new life. To a new life. See, in this very moment, God shows this woman his amazing grace, and he calls her to a new life by saying these words. Go now and leave your life of sin. He was giving her this hope of saying, you don't have to stay the same. You don't have to stay stuck. You can be a new and different person from the inside out. You can now do your life God's way. And this call to a new life is not just for this woman caught in adultery. Do you know this very morning, Jesus is reaching out to you. He's calling you. Jesus is calling. Come home to the Father. Come back to God. Come back to doing your life God's way. And when you do, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this is what happens. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And friends, that's what Jesus can do when you reach out to him, grab onto his hand, let him into your life. He'll cleanse you, forgive you, And he'll make you new from the inside out. And that's what I'd like us to pray for now. Let's pray together. Father God, this has been a heavy message. But we desperately need to hear it. Because the truth is our minds have been messed up. By movies and media and music that has taken and perverted your good gift of sex. And the truth is, Lord, many of us. Lord, we just have to humbly confess we've gone out of bounds. We've tried to do it our way. And I pray this very morning that you'd bring us back. Bring us back by your grace and your mercy. Help us to trust that you paid for our forgiveness, that we're not alone. And I pray, God, that you'll help us take the steps in this process of allowing you to restore us and cleanse us and make us new. For Christ's sake, for it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.